Welcome to Homegrown History with Limestone County Archivist Rebecca Davis and longtime Athens, Alabama native Richard Martin. Each episode, Richard and Rebecca bring to life some of the famous and infamous stories etched in Limestone County's rich history. Hello and welcome back to Homegrown History, the Limestone County History Podcast. I'm your host, Rebecca Davis, archivist at the Limestone County Archives, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Richard Martin, the oldest one here. That's right. And today, I'm very excited that Richard and I have two very, very special guests. I feel like I say that every time, but this time I really mean it. (laughs) <laughs> no offense to all our other guests. I mean it every time. But today we're going to be talking about my favorite topic of Limestone County history, which is Trinity School. This was the school that was established in 1865 to educate newly freed and formerly enslaved people and operated all the way up until desegregation in 1970. So we're going to cover 105 years of history in about 35 minutes or so. If we can't do it, then we'll just keep on going in our next episode. But to that end, our very special guests today are David Malone, who is a what year graduate of Trinity? 1966. 1966. He's a 1966 graduate of Trinity High School. And also Charlotte Fulton, who is the Trinity historian. She wrote the book, Holding the Fort, A History of Trinity High School. So she's here with us to share some of the history of what she learned too. And uh, full disclosure, this is an African-American school and Dave is the only African-American in the room. (laughs) But uh, Charlotte is a a white lady who grew up going to segregated schools and fell in love with the history uh, when she was at the newspaper, didn't you, Charlotte? You want to tell it? And and before we get into that too, I just want to mention that All of us in this room have a vested interest in Trinity. So David is the president of the Athens Limestone Community Association, which is the organization that owns the old Trinity School now, has reopened it as the Pincham Lincoln Center, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. And he has been the president for, uh, well, you've been a member of the board since it began, haven't you? Yes, about 1984. Right, right. So he's been very involved with the restoration and continuing legacy of Trinity for decades now. Uh, Richard is the current vice president of the Athens Limestone Community Association. He's also been on the board for several years. Uh, Charlotte and I both were on the Athens Limestone Community Association board for several years. And like I said, she wrote the history. And now as the archivist at the Limestone County Archives, the Limestone County Archives is the repository for Trinity's historic documents, photos and things like that, and um, certain records um, there at the Limestone County Archives available for anyone to research and study. So we all have a vested interest in this story. And uh, with that, I guess, let's just get started with Charlotte. I want you to tell a little bit about what brought you to this story and then get started with the history. And David, I want you to kind of chime in with what you know as we go, and especially when we get to the years where you were in school. So that was a very long intro. Richard always tells me I talk too much. I do. <laughs> and Richard, I know you grew up while Trinity was still... Yeah, I was um, segregated from them. Right. And look what I missed. I know, exactly. David. That's right, that's right. Better late than never. That's right. So so let's just get started, Charlotte, with you then, and how you came to this story and, and what you learned. Well, as you indicated, I grew up in a segregated community. I knew one black family. 
mm-hmm. where I lived, a uh, very rural area. We didn't even see black people. And as Richard said, we missed a lot. But when I moved to Limestone County in 1990, I started to work at the News Courier. And I began to meet people and hear their stories. And I met uh, Colonel James Walker, mm-hmm. Lieutenant Colonel James Walker in particular, and he began to tell me the story about history and the remarkable people who were still there at the time. And so I made a list and I wrote a continuing series called Trinity Profiles, and I interviewed students and teachers At that time, I could find plenty who had graduated in the 1930s and the 1940s. I am so very glad that I did because all of those people are gone now. Amen, amen. And I'm so glad to have captured their story. Mm -hmm. But I didn't start writing the book until I retired about 2005, I think. Mm -hmm. Took me six years. Met some wonderful people. I'm still grieving the interviews that I didn't get around to before those people passed away. But it's just such a wonderful story and such an important part of our history. I feel like um, Trinity is sort of a microcosm of African-American history. Yes. Um, All the important eras of history were represented there. It had some of the very first African-American soldiers there at the fort site where the school was later built. Um, Everything right up through the civil rights era and integration, which finally closed the school down, it all was represented there at Trinity. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope I'll get a chance later to tell you about some of the remarkable people who graduated there and some of the contributions that they made. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We want to talk about that. I know I worked with Charlotte at the News Courier from 1997 to 2003. And I remember then just how lit up, like Charlotte's the one who turned me on to Trinity. I I lived just a mile north from there and never even knew I was going, you know, what it was when I was going. Now, I'm the youngest one here. Richard might be the oldest. I'm the youngest. I was born eight years after Trinity closed, uh, not that far removed from a segregated school system. And I never even knew it was there. All I knew was there was this old building, you know, up on the hill that I didn't know what it was. And it wasn't until um, Charlotte started saying, you people just don't realize what a treasure we have here in Trinity and what, you know, this county had that is now closed and gone. But the influence of Trinity continues to spread out all over the nation. And so, yes, that's a long way of saying we definitely need to talk about some of those stories. But let's start at the beginning. Let's talk about when and how Trinity was founded, if you want to start with that. Um, a little white lady named um, Mary Fletcher Wells came here from Michigan. She came with the intention of starting a school after the war was over, but she came before the war actually ended, and she spent her time tending wounded soldiers in one of the local homes here. Um, As soon as the war ended, just within weeks, she had started a school. It started in the White Baptist Church. Now, Mm -hmm. I don't want to be misunderstood, as I have been before, by people who later say that I said the White Baptists started the school. They did not. Their church was being occupied by Union soldiers. It had Mm. been used as a barracks. So the first classes were held there. Um, They later went to an old home that had been occupied 
by a family prior to the war, and they had left during the war and never returned. Hmm. Um, The school was in very poor shape. The physical building was in very poor shape. So in about 10 years, they built a new school. Um, Do we have time to talk about the amazing story of how the school was built? Yes, absolutely. Um, During the time that... Miss Wells and her students, and by the way, that was also her residence. Uh, during the time that they occupied that old building, it was constantly being repaired. The sills were twisted, the windows were broken, the shingles were torn off, and there was the constant sound of hammering while classes were going on. Mm-hmm. And after 10 years, the American Missionary Association, which was the sponsoring organization, said, we just can't do this anymore. We don't have the money to build a new school. We can't find a new place for you. We can't fund that. And so we're just going to have to close the school and send Miss Wells to another assignment. Well, the people were heartbroken because she was very beloved, and this was their first opportunity for education. Right. And, and so this they, was not just little children either, was it? No. It was adults also because they'd never had a chance to go to school, mm-hmm. and they were students as adults. And they said to the American Missionary Association, if you will not close this school, we will make bricks with our own hands. Mm-hmm. And so for the next almost two years, that's what they did. They made the bricks. The American Missionary Association, they provided the labor and the rest of the funding, and in 1882, they built a new school. That's amazing to me. Now, the cistern that's over by what is now the Clinton Street Annex, that was the original cistern at the original location of the Trinity School. Are those bricks, some of those handmade bricks that the people made, do you know? I don't know. Do you, Richard? I it think is assumed so. that it that they are. Right. So if anybody's here in Athens and Limestone County wants to actually see this still tangible piece of history, it's over there just on the kind of north end, northwest end of the Clinton Street Annex, and there's a marker there, but that's what remains of that first location that was just right there downtown. That's right. Um, right by the railroad tracks. Of course, that wasn't even considered downtown then, <laughs> but it almost was. And it was right by the passenger depot so that when the teachers came in the fall for their jobs, they just got off the train and had a few steps until they were at their school. Mm-hmm. Well, and the group that built that first school, wasn't it called the Trinity Society or something yes, like that? Trinity School Society. And a lot of it included, like Plato Jones, for example, wasn't he on as one of those? If y'all are familiar with the street name, Plato Jones. Yes. He was a very accomplished brick mason and uh, barbecue pit master. He and his son, right. Plato Jones Jr., both were. And um, that's why the street was named after him. But most of those people who headed up that society, mostly men, wasn't it? They were all literate voting black men because they were literate for more than one generation as well and so they were definite leaders uh, in the community and not just in the black community i know when plato jones died and i'm getting a little ahead of myself but he's one of the few african-american men who had a front page obituary because he was so beloved by the whole community And there was at least one woman. There was an L.A. Harris, and I worked and worked and worked to find a man named L.A. Harris, and I eventually discovered that she was Lavinia Ann Harris, who became the first black teacher there at Trinity. Oh, 
Okay. Because the faculty was integrated uh, well before the turn of the century. It was mm-hmm. integrated about 1892, and she was the first black teacher. Wow. Because, yeah, in the beginning it was all white missionaries, wasn't it? Yes. So they started downtown. So tell me what happened that caused the school to move to within Fort Henderson. And if you want to take a moment just to explain, we should have an episode as well about Fort Henderson itself. But if you want to kind of give a refresher on what Fort Henderson was and kind of what caused the school to move over that way. Um, Fort Henderson was on the opposite side of the city. Mm -hmm. On the southwest side. Right. Mm -hmm. And it had been a Union fort. It was a high point that had been... A plantation. In 1862, some of the um, African-American soldiers and freed slaves built that to protect it against the onslaught of the rebel soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so it was a particularly appropriate place for this school to move when it was necessary for it to move. What caused its move was in 1907, the school burned. Now, um, a lot of people in the community think that it was burned intentionally. I don't, I don't say that that isn't true. I say that I didn't find any indication that it was. And there were American Missionary Association officials who came here right after the burning who decided that it was not, that it was because of some cinder that was left by a workman who was repairing the flashing around the chimney. But the school burned, and the very next year, it reappeared within the walls of Fort Henderson, which was an earthworks fort. Right. Had a trench all the way around. Had a trench all the way around. And um, many of the bricks from the original building were carried to the new building. Oh, that's neat. So I do have a question, or maybe just some. It would not be a stretch of the imagination to assume that it was intentionally set by certain members of the community, because from what I understand and just reading the, about the history, the first teachers, particularly white teachers, were harassed quite a bit by certain members of this community for, for white people coming to teach, educate black people, weren't they? Oh, yes, they were. Um, there was a lot of hostility in the community, and Miss Wells herself, the founder had had shots taken through her window when she was sitting up at night studying. Mm -hmm. Um, The young kids, I guess it was, harassed the students when they were still in the very first, the old building. They would shoot peas through the cracks in the the walls and hit the kids while they were trying to study. Uh, So there was an indication that it was uncomfortable living that close to town. Sure. Well, and at that time, even then, most of the black population of Athens still lived over on the southwest side, didn't they? So they'd have to walk into basically white community to go to school, wouldn't they? Was that kind of the case at that time? Um, not, I don't know the complete answer to that, but my observation during this um, study is that wherever the school was, there was the black community. Mm -hmm. They lived around Trinity when it was down by the railroad tracks. Mm -hmm. A big African-American community had really already started to grow up up on the fort site. Coleman Hill area. But more people moved in as the school was because the school was always just the heart of their community. Well, I remember reading... Let me say one other thing when you asked about 
was it beyond imagination that someone actually burned it intentionally? It certainly was not. That was happening all across the South. Mm -hmm. There were several schools that were burned intentionally. There was one school that just had to move out of the community, not our community, because there was so much hostility, they could not flourish there. So it was hard for a school to to get going. And so we're very blessed that Trinity was able to survive and succeed. Sure. I know one thing that's always hit me about that is one of the books that we actually have at the Limestone County Archives was Susan Davis's uh, The Authentic History of the KKK, yes. which is fairly romanticized um, history of the KKK. But in that book, she talks about how people here in Athens saw this little white woman riding a wagon to town with one of her black students. And that was part of the impetus of establishing a chapter of the KKK here in Limestone County because they said, oh, this can't stand. We can't have this, you know, intermingling of the races. I don't care what the situation is. And so, you know, um, there was a certain element of the population here that certainly did not want to see that happen, did not want to see it succeed. Right. But but regardless, for whatever reason, it burned in 1907, and then they moved within the fort, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1908, and then in five years, the building burned again. Mm-hmm. Now, that sounds awfully suspicious, but you do have to realize that there was no fire department at the time. Lots of buildings burned. The principal herself, who was a white missionary with the American Missionary Association, thought that the fire originated in the basement with a furnace that they had been having trouble with Mm -hmm. for months or if not years. So she did not attribute it to arson. But again, who's to say after all this time has passed? Right. When you look at that and the different uh, obstacles, especially in that first, what, 50 years or so of existence, it's really remarkable that just the, um, I don't know if tenacity is the right word, or dedication of the teachers and the students and the parents and the whole community that this is our key to a better life. Yes. And we're going to make sure it succeeds. And David, tell me, when did you start at Trinity? I started at Trinity in 1960. 1960. Okay. So by that time, it had been in operation 95 years. Yeah. You, of course, growing up in the community. By the time you started, it was a high school, right? And you went to elementary at Miller Public. Is that correct? Correct. So tell me what you knew about, even just as a little kid, about Trinity and, and the school and the people who had gone there and all of that. Well, Trinity has been in my blood all my life. Tell us about I, that. I was born maybe 25 feet from Trinity's campus. Oh, really? And I was uh, blessed to have relatives that were older than I was that took me to Trinity even before I started elementary school. And uh, I enjoyed every moment. And uh, growing up in the black neighborhood, people so loved Trinity and respect the students at Trinity that if you were going to a Trinity, or if you had attended Trinity, people treated you as if you had been to college. Oh, really? That's how much uh, Trinity meant to the community. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's always been a wonderful place to go. Uh, you know, uh, segregation was bad in a sense, but one thing that was good about it is that we got to know every black child in Limestone. That's right. 
You sure did. Because everybody came from all of the, the city school, which was Miller Public, and all the surrounding rural schools. And there were a lot of them. If you want to check it all out, you can look at the book Retrospective Glances of Limestone County Negro Education, which we have copies of the archives, and it was published in, I think, the 40s. But anyways, there was, I don't know, a good 20 or 30 rural black schools, and they all, though, to go to high school, Trinity was it, wasn't it? That was the only high school for black students in the entire county. Yes, it was. And uh, I was talking with a friend of mine some while back, and uh, we figured that maybe at least 80% of the students there met their wife or their husband. Oh, and you did? Yes. Tell me about you and Mildred meeting there. Well, I met Mildred really before Trinity because my grandmother finished at Trinity, so did my father in 1946, mm-hmm. but my grandmother taught in Elkmont, and she was Mildred's elementary school. And Mildred is David's wife, so <laughs> I don't think we mentioned that. <laughs> so uh, occasionally, when we would be out of school at Trinity, I would ride to Elkmont with my grandmother, and I would go to school there with her. Oh, okay. So uh, I met Mildred there for the first time, and uh, I was at Trinity before she was, but mm-hmm. when she came uh we were there together for about five years. Mm-hmm. So y'all were high school sweethearts? Yes. Oh, yes. And now how many years have y'all been married now? Uh, 50 years. It'll be 51 in October. That's right. So there's, your, there's a Trinity success story for you right there. Well, and I know you and other Trinity graduates I've talked to all have had the feeling that when you were at Trinity, you were held to a higher standard by the teachers, by the students, by the community, by everybody. Was that your... Your experience going to Trinity? Yes, they. Uh, the teachers at Trinity always wanted us to succeed at whatever we decided to do in life, and they they encouraged that at all times. And uh, one thing that was great about going to Trinity was like going to another mother's house. Mm-hmm. When we got to Trinity, we had teachers like uh, Sammy Mason and and others, Juanetta Harris, that treated you as if you were their child. They Mm -hmm. didn't only teach you about school and they taught you how to become young men, young women, and how to respect other people. And it was just a great environment for all of them. Mm -hmm. It's almost more like a family than a school, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. Because uh, a lot of the teachers there, we attended church with them. Uh, Either our parents were in the lodge with them. So What was good about it, you know, uh, nowadays you have to check on a child that's in school. Yeah. And, of course, back then parents checked on a child. But Trinity was so unique that if you flunked something this week, your parents would know it the weekend. Uh huh. They knew it before you did, didn't yeah, they? Because you know the teacher <laughs> couldn't get away would, with nothing. The teacher would go by the house, or the teacher would see your parents at church, but uh, they would uh, so said nip it in the bud and solve right. that problem within one week. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Well, and I know we kind of jumped ahead in the history a little bit, so I want to come back to that. But I do. That's why we'll talk about some of these success stories of Trinity graduates because. For a school to be as small as it was, it turned out an amazing number of highly successful people, I mean, from the beginning. And you mentioned Sammy Mason. That's one story I want to mention. Sammy herself was a very unique individual with her history. Charlotte, you want to talk a little bit about that from her father and what his experience was all the way up to her teaching career? Yes. Um She was Sammy Dawson Mason. Dawson was her uh, maiden name. 
And her father was John Jack Dawson, who had been a slave. He left his workplace, his plantation, and walked to enlist in the army. He was captured at Fort Henderson, which was later the site of Trinity School. He had a mini ball in his hip. He was marched to uh, the Shoals area, Cherokee, I guess Mm -hmm. it was. Um, Then they were put on a train and sent down to Mobile to work on the shipyard, at the shipyard. He escaped twice, I believe, but he was captured. He was brought back home, and um, he was the father of Sammy Mason, who attended... Wait, wait, tell about him riding on the car. Yes, yes. That's just one of the most... (laughs) It's kind of disgusting, but also fascinating to see what people went through just to be able to fight for their freedom and a better life. He described to his daughter how he was so hungry in the cars, which had been stock cars, but now they had um, captured soldiers on them. He was so hungry that he picked kernels of corn out of the horse manure, Mm -hmm. and that's how he survived. Crazy. So these people had a lot of struggle behind them when they finally got to go to school. Mm -hmm. Now, um, Sammy Mason didn't graduate from Trinity because she stopped early and got her certification. She moved, Mm -hmm. and she graduated from high school there, wound up back here at Alabama A&M, and then eventually she taught at Trinity. Mm -hmm. So her father was a soldier and a captive at Fort Henderson. Mm -hmm. She was a student there, and later she was a teacher there. And she told me one time that she used to pick up mini balls during recess and wonder, is this one that hit my father? Oh, wow. And where she lived was not all that far from Trinity. Mm -hmm. She told me one time that she had a hubcap filled with mini balls that she had picked up either on the school side or at her home side. Wow. Well, and that's what gets me about this, just the the whole area of the Trinity campuses, to me, it feels like if there is hallowed ground in Limestone County, it's right there. Because you've got in this same ground where you've got, it was probably a cotton field at one point Mm -hmm. where slaves sweated and bled to pick cotton. And then it was a fort where soldiers sweated and bled to fight for their freedom. And then the same people, same family, you know, generation after generation from slave to soldier to now you've got students who are working and sweating in the same soil, you know, just to get a better education, better life and all. And it it all happened just right here, this um, progression of our community, you know, and and, um, I think about that whenever I'm over there on the campus. Um, I know we got up to about when the new school was built and that was under, so Mary Fletcher Wells was the original founder and principal and she was much beloved little bitty white lady yes but then she was followed up by uh, louise allen well there were three or four teachers principals Mm -hmm. in between there who aren't very well known i couldn't find much information about them i've forgotten if it's three or four Mm -hmm. but then louise allen came there after the school moved to fort henderson Mm -hmm. she was the first principal at that site and she was there for the next 40 years. And she came from Connecticut, didn't she? She, she did. was also an AMA missionary. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
and a very wonderful woman by all reports. People loved her, and they looked upon her as a mother figure. And uh, she was there for almost 40 years. Then the next principal was a white male principal. By that time, the AMA was looking at turning Trinity over to the public school system, Mm -hmm. which is what had happened to most of the schools that they had started all around the South. Mm -hmm. Trinity was one of the last AMA schools to close. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself because there are so many stories. Let's go back a minute. Sure. The school was built in 1908. Miss Allen came as principal. It burned again in 1913. Mm -hmm. It was rebuilt the following year on the same site, I believe on the same foundation. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1914? 1914, Mm -hmm. it opened again. And uh, then that building lasted until the 1950s, by which time the public school system was in charge, and they tore down that beautiful building and built a long, right. low concrete block. That's right. <laughs> well, your standard mid-century modern yes. school building, yes. low and flat. But yet, if, if anybody's interested, um, on the Limestone County Archives at limestonearchives.com on our digital archives. We do have some photos of these old buildings, of the old, of the 1914 building, which bits and pieces of it are all in the moat now, aren't they? Yes, yes. Because when they tore that down, they used the building's bricks and materials to fill in the moat because that was left over Fort Henderson because it had become a problem with mosquitoes and things like that. Yeah, go ahead, Richard. You know, David was glad to see him cover up that moat. Tell me why. Why, David? Well, I don't I don't really say I was glad to see him cover it up, but that was uh, part of the moat on the north side of the Trinity property that had a very steep hill mm-hmm. on top. But when you got to the bottom, there was a, maybe a five or six foot hill going upward. Uh-huh. And uh, as kids, we used to challenge each other to take your bike and go down the hill. And it <laughs> took me several years to get up the courage to do it because I've seen so many people go down and then slam into the five-foot bank and hurt themselves. Wipe out. It, it took me a while to go down that hill, but finally I made it. So did you wipe out when you did, or did you no, rock I it? No, I didn't. I know that. I didn't because <laughs> I watched the kids, and when they get to the bottom, they had to pull up on the handlebars yes. before hitting the other bank so they would go upward instead of flat instead of in their face yeah Yeah, and I was one of them white boys that came along on my bicycle seeing that done and I never did try it either (laughs) (laughs) he saw too many people wipe out (laughs) well and uh, we are getting ahead too but but one of my favorite stories about the hill and the moat is that Coach Province went in the 1950s and 60s 40s he was in the 40s that's right Tell about what he would do. Well, he used one of the hills as a training device because, you know, at Trinity, we didn't have the sleds and and Mm -hmm. all the other equipment for training. He would have them run up and down the hill. Our former president, Edward Gibbon, did that. Yes. And he'd make them run, and he had a saying. He would sit in a chair beside the big tree that's no longer there, and he would tell those guys, run till I get tired. Right. (laughs) Sit there sipping lemonade, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. So... It was a good training device for the football players. Yeah, and those Trinity Panthers were tough, weren't they? Yeah, very tough. They good had team. some very good players there, Trinity. Mm-hmm. But if I could, um, Charlotte has mentioned uh, Miss Wales. Now, when I was attending Trinity, of course, uh, 
Mrs. Mason and some of the other teachers would always mention Miss Wales, mm -hmm. but I didn't really get into Miss Wales until I really joined the ALCA. Mm -hmm. And it was so amazing to me that a young white woman in 1865 would have the care and love for the black race mm -hmm. to give up what could have been a perfect life in the North, to come South, risked her life mm -hmm. to teach my people. That's amen. right. Amen. And I amen. just, I just, that, that was the most amazing thing to me. And I, I know I've said this before, it was like a love story. Right. When she came here, I'm sure she didn't have much at all, but she had that love for mankind. And she brought that with her. And uh, she passed that on to the other teachers, to the students, to the community. And that's something we talk about Trinity being here over 105 years, that love still exists. That yes. The little white woman mm -hmm. brought from Michigan right. mm -hmm. over 100 years ago. And if you talk to people now, people still love Trinity because of the love she instilled in people when she got it. Right. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes, that it influence. Well, and it set the tone throughout Trinity's history, even though it was a school for black students, there were always, except for briefly whenever it was a county school, there were always white faculty members and, you know, people in the white community who helped keep it going, weren't there? Yes. Um, Early in this process, the American Missionary Association had realized that they could not bring a bunch of white people from the North and impose education mm -hmm. on the African Americans. And there were not enough of them to teach all the African Americans. So it became almost like an each one teach one. Yes. Uh, they taught their students to teach. And as early as the 1870s, Miss Wells' students were going out in the county during the summer, and they were teaching in barns and cotton sheds and brush arbors and just wherever they could find a wow. place to gather a few people together. Wow, that's amazing. Well, and I think we're going to have to carry this into a two-part, if y'all can stick around, because I think to finish up this segment of our conversation, I wanted to kind of carry through at least the, the basic history of Trinity up until it closed and then come back and let's talk about some of these people's stories and also what's up with Trinity these days because if you think Trinity the story ended in 1970 when it was closed you're sadly mistaken it's still continuing to have a profound effect to this day so the school was an American Missionary Association school right up through um, Louise Allen and then Jay Wright and then uh, Reverend King what was his first name Judson. Judson King, that's it. Judson King. He was the last AMA principal, wasn't he? Or was that yes, once? Yes, he was. And he by was. that time, the AMA was in talks with the Limestone County School Board about transferring the whole school over. You want to talk a little bit about that and how that transition took place and so on? Yes, they had actually talked about the transition. They were in discussion in 1940, and that's why Jay Wright came. Uh, they tried to get Louise Allen to stay. By that time, she had already stayed one year longer than she intended to, mm -hmm. and she just said she couldn't make it three more years, which is what the AMA thought it would take to make the transition. So they got Jay Wright, and he knew when he came that he was only here for three years. And his administration was totally different. He had a totally different approach to education. 
Um, after that three years, Judson King came, and by that time, the transition was beginning. It took 16 more years to be complete. Oh, wow. And during that time, there were gradual changes. For instance, during Judson King's time, they got bus service. Mm-hmm. Up until then, uh, if you lived out in the county and you wanted to go to Trinity, you were on your own. There was no transportation there. Right. So the bus service meant that there was a big enrollment increase during mm-hmm. that time. Judson King also was a well-beloved principal. He was here until 1956, I mm-hmm. believe, and by that time the transition was complete and... Ashford. Was, uh, Mr. Ashford. He was the he, last one. He finished it out, yes. And uh, Judson King, we're, we're two black principals now. He was the first black principal because by law at the time, you could not have a white principal teaching black students in a public school system. Oh, yeah. And so that was one of the provisions that all the white teachers had to go when integration Transition, not when integration began, but when this transition to the public schools mm-hmm. began. Right, right. So in 59 was when the building that's there currently, or yes. a portion of it still is, was built. And then in, when was Freedom of Choice enacted and students 65. could first start? So 65 was when students could first start going to whatever school they wanted to. Right. And, of course, you had a few black students who went to the formerly all-white schools, but no white students ever came into Trinity, did they? No. And then in 1970, when the class of 70 graduated, they didn't even know at that time that they were the last class to graduate, did they, from that campus? No, I don't think they did. And they found out over the summer that mm-hmm. Trinity wasn't going to reopen. And it's interesting to me that the county, when they closed Trinity, it was actually the newest school building in the county. But they closed it because it was a situation where you weren't going to have, at that time in Athens, you weren't going to have white parents choose to send their students to a formerly all-black school. It just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so they closed it down. And all of those students got dispersed back out into Athens High School and Elkmont and Clements and everywhere else, didn't they? Yes, you know, that happened all over the South. I I visited Arkansas and Mississippi, and they closed all black, most black schools because of that reason that white parents didn't want to send their kids. But like you said, the buildings were a lot better. The only one I know that's close that they kept was Lakeside. It was a high school for black kids in Decatur. Decatur, yeah. Now, that's still open. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. But unfortunately, I mean, and it's like, you know, obviously segregation had to end, but there were some positive things, as you mentioned, that ended because of desegregation. And and the fact that Trinity and that community and that, well, the community's still there, but the heart of it quit beating, you know, in a sense when Trinity closed, didn't it, David? Yes, it did. Uh, I wasn't living here at that time, but I came after they closed. And uh, the kids, uh, it was sad in a sense because the uh, kids had a fear, the black kids had a fear of going to white schools. And some of them that were 16, they quit school. Yeah, that is sad. Because they didn't want to go to the white school. Right. And that that was a sad part about it. But uh, this is my opinion and my opinion all. And all, I think we would have been better off. We should have been treated equally, but I think we would have been better off had we been given the money and the equipment that right. the white schools had right. and left us at Trinity. 
Right. Because we had, like we always said, a family thing there. Sure. And the, the teachers were, like I said, like other mothers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, and it you know, the law is the law, so right. they, they did that. But uh, it was just sad that so many black kids quit school. It is. Because of the fear of going to a white school. Right. There was a sadness with a lot of the students who didn't quit, who went on, because some of them had been chosen as quarterbacks at Trinity, had joined clubs, had been elected officers, were in the band. Uh, when they got to Athens High School, for instance, they couldn't be in the band because in order to be in the band, you had to have attended band camp that summer. But uh, they didn't even know that summer that they were going to be at Athens. Right. So they lost a lot of opportunity. But I can really say that among the people that I interviewed who made that transition, I saw that sadness, but I did not see any bitterness or recrimination. It was just something that had to happen. Right. Go ahead. Didn't they have, uh, David, they sent some students to Athens High School, the smart students or real good students first, to try it out? Yes, they, they handpicked some students uh, as early as 65. Yeah. My sent- aunt, Miss Mary Martin, taught some of them. She was highly impressed with them. Yes, and they went to Athens High. Uh, in fact, my wife Mildred, she went to Elkmont. Uh, she she had some problems there. She what? had yeah. some problems. Yeah. yeah. Well, all of the kids all had the kids problems. Did. Yeah. yeah. And they had they had to take a lot that uh, yeah that normally people wouldn't take. Right. Right. Well, and they were almost sent out like ambassadors, weren't they? That's yes. what they were to pave the way. And you know, the students who came home really owe a debt of gratitude to those students right. as well. There was another reason that some of them went to the rural schools between 65 and 70, and that was because they had begun closing the black elementary schools Mm -hmm. prior to that time. And so, for instance, if your school got closed and you got sent to Elkmont Elementary School, then your older brother or sister might be told by his parents you're going to have to go to Elkmont High just so you right. can be with Close your yeah. brother and sister and watch out for mm-hmm. them. That's right. There was a lot of that. That's right. I remember that uh, we had a program we normally have at Sweet Home to celebrate Dr. Yes. King. Mm-hmm. I think it was Lawyer Plunk. He told me that uh, what he enjoyed about the blacks coming, he said, that's how we finally got some speed. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and we could win some football. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Athens needed it if they were going to beat Decatur back then, didn't yeah, they? <laughs> yeah. So he, I remember him saying that we got some speed. That's right. Them boys been running. Anybody that could run. <laughs> Them boys been running up that hill yeah. <laughs> and getting strong. And well, sports help. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's wrap up this first part of our discussion so that we can come back and delve more deeply into some of the amazing stories that have come out of Trinity. So with that, we're going to wrap it up. I appreciate y'all being here today. And y'all come back next time we release for the second half of our conversation with Charlotte Fulton and David Malone about Trinity High School. I'm Rebecca. I'm Richard. Signing off. We'll see you next time for another episode of Homegrown History. You've been listening to Homegrown History, presented by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library and the Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. For more information and to submit questions or suggestions, please visit limestonearchives.com. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices series, check out our website at alcpl.org.
You can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.